The scripture this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, beginning in verse 13. And Jesus is praying uh, for his disciples, and since we're his disciples, he is praying for us as well. But this is a, the, a part of his prayer. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. The word of God for the people of God. Now, you've heard that old saying, in the world, but not of the world. But that's easier to say than it is to do. <laughs> for centuries, uh, for millennia, uh, Christians have struggled with how do we follow Jesus and live in a culture that doesn't follow Jesus? How do we do that? And people have always struggled with that. That's not anything new. Um, you know, because the values of our culture are not the values that Jesus teaches us. Jesus said to love our enemies. Our culture says, hate your enemies. Get rid of them. That's how you handle it. The culture we live in says, me first. My interests first. My country first. Jesus said you put others first. The culture says that we should make all we can, spend all we can on ourselves, and then pretend we have more than we really do. Or as I heard one guy put it, make all you can, can all you get, then sit on the can. <laughs> but Jesus taught us to live open-handed and to be generous. And so the examples could go on and on and on. But if we are serious about following Jesus... In a culture that doesn't follow Jesus, it's hard, and we struggle with how do we do that? And we feel like we're swimming upstream, and then, like I said, that's always been the case. In a real spiritual sense, we're all immigrants here. The world is not our home, and, and we're, we're in, a, in a situation where we're trying to follow Jesus in a, in a culture that doesn't. So uh, how do we do that? And, and f like I said, for, you know, Christians have always struggled with this. And this morning, I want to mention four ways that Christians have dealt with this. Now, not all of these are good ways, but this is the way we've dealt with this and tried to follow Jesus in a world that doesn't. And the first one is to withdraw from the world. That's how a lot of people have handled it. Uh, you know, some believers decide that, you know, living, uh, following Jesus just puts you at odds with the culture so much that you just can't do it, and so you just have to withdraw. You don't want to be polluted by the culture, so you pull away from the culture. You can form your own Christian community and shut everything else out and just try to live a godly life there among people like you. Now, there are plenty of examples. The Pharisees were a great example of this. Uh, they, they withdrew. They wouldn't go into anybody's home that they didn't think was righteous. They considered themselves separate. They wouldn't be a part of the culture because they thought the culture would pollute them, so they didn't want to be a part of it. There was another group of people during that same time in the New Testament 
called the Essenes. And then the Essenes actually were religious folks who left Jerusalem, went out into the desert, formed their own Christian community, and they lived out there, just, just them, so they would be away from the culture and could live the way God wanted them to live. As a matter of fact, most people believe that at some point, John the Baptist spent some time there, and that's where he came. When he came out of the wilderness, that's where he was coming from. Some monasteries are a good example. Not, not all, because some monasteries, uh, uh, you know, they actually engage in the community around them, um, you know, as, as well as nuns who do that. But there are some where they just completely withdraw and, and have nothing to do with the culture around them as a way to try to stay pure and live a God-directed life. Uh, actually, the, the Amish are, are kind of an interesting example. Uh, they have rejected our culture, but they embraced the culture of the 1800s but still, it's a withdrawal from society so that you're not polluted or not contaminated by society. And if we're not careful, we end up doing the same thing. Because church is a Christian community. But it's a community where we go for worship and for teaching and for help and for encouragement and friendship so that we can then go back out into a culture that doesn't follow Jesus and still live the way God has called us to live. If we, you know, if we effectively, um, you know, can cut ourselves off from, from church society, from, from the culture, we can, um, you know, can just go to church events, we can just hang out with people who, who are already Christians. The main reason that most established churches don't baptize very many new people is because most new Christians after three years no longer have friends who aren't Christians. Because we become Christians and then we just hang out with Christians. And then we don't know anybody who's not a Christian. And, and so we don't have people that, that we can share the gospel with. And we end up, we, we withdraw. We can raise our kids, uh, you know, in church. Only let them go to church activities. We can send them to a Christian school. Only let them listen to Christian music. Only watch Christian TV. And only eat out at Chick-fil-A. Christian chicken. So we can live our whole lives isolated from the culture if we choose to. It's not that hard. And I have to admit that, you know, I struggle with this myself. Because as a pastor, I spend so much of my time, you know, at church and related to things our church is doing. And so I end up working just with people who are Christians. And so you have to be intentional about finding ways to get involved in things where I know there's going to be people there who aren't believers, people there who aren't uh, committed to Christ. It, it takes an intentional effort. And I believe that that's true for most people who've been Christians for a long time. If you look around your circle of friends, how many of them are not Christians? And, and are we finding ways to intentionally be involved in things that put us in organizations and put us in places where we can have relationships with people who don't already know Christ? And the problem with this approach of withdrawing is, how can we make a difference in the world if we're not in the world? <laughs> how can we make a difference in anybody's life if we're not touching anyone's lives? You know, Jesus prayed, you know, for us to remain in the world, not to withdraw from it. So I don't think that that's an approach that works very well. A second approach is to, is to be against the world. 
Instead of withdrawing, some attack. <laughs> they see the, the culture as an enemy, not to run from, but to be defeated. And again, history is filled with examples. The Crusades are an example. Bible in one hand and a sword in the other. You believe what I want to believe and believe what I, I believe or you die. We'll make you believe. We'll win the war. Force people to believe what you believe. There was a, an extremist arm of liberation theology that came out of South America years ago that was teaching uh, violence against uh, the government. And um, they actually distributed a picture. I couldn't believe the picture when I saw it. They had a picture of Jesus holding an Uzi. Can't you just see that hanging above the picture of Kool-Aid in Vacation Bible School? <laughs> um, and this approach is with us today. I hear preachers who paint a picture of the culture as if it's some terrible, evil, bad place. Uh, I hear people talk about the war on Christmas and the war on Christians, and it becomes a rally cry to fight against the culture. And you do whatever you need to get the political power to defeat the non-Christian culture. And with this approach, there's no morals, no values, there's not even a need for the truth. Because when you're in a war, you do whatever you have to do to win. Somewhere, though, I read that God so loved the world. God's not at war with the culture. And even though the world is broken, it is God's creation and God is present in his creation. And um, they're these people that we disagree with, they're not the enemy. They are people for whom Jesus died. So we're not called to be engaged in any culture wars. How can you be engaged in a culture war and still follow the one who told us to be peacemakers? <laughs> we're called to love the culture, not to fight and be at war with the culture. And then another approach is to just become like the culture. And unfortunately, I think this is the most popular option. It, it's hard to live a God-directed life in a culture that constantly pulls us in a different direction. It's hard to swim upstream all the time. And so sometimes you get tired of swimming upstream. And you decide to just go with the flow. Say you're a Christian, go to church if you want to, but just live like everybody else. Yes, it's like the old adage, if you can't beat them, join them. Just adopt the values of the culture, live by them. It's okay to talk about God, just live like everybody else. And there's a lot less struggle if you live this way. And there's always been people who've chosen this option. And another way some Christians do this is by choosing to use violence or politics, the powers of this culture, to change people instead of the unconditional love of Jesus. But this option doesn't work very well either. Because how can we change the culture if we're just like the culture? How can we make any difference if we're just like what goes on around us, if we're just a reflection of it? And so the last approach, which is the one I think that Jesus modeled for us is to transform the world. That's what Jesus did. And I believe it's what he wants us to do. 
When Jesus spoke of how we are to live in the world, he used the images of salt and light. You cannot put salt in food without it changing the flavor of food. If you put salt in food, it preserves the food. You can't introduce light into a darkened room without it making a difference in the darkness. And so he was saying the same thing about us, is that as followers of Jesus, if we follow Jesus, we will make a difference in, in the group that we're in. We will make a difference in the culture where we live. And if we're serious about following Jesus, this is really the only example that we, uh, that we have that works because Jesus lived a God-directed life in the middle of a culture that went in the other direction and people noticed it and they wanted to know what was going on. Jesus never withdrew from the world. He never went to a cave somewhere and told people, if you want to know about God, come find me and I'll be happy to tell you. Jesus wore blisters on his feet, walking from one town to another to let people know that God loved them. He attended weddings. He went to parties. Like the great American theologian Garth Brooks, <laughs> Jesus had lots of friends in low places. He ate meals with swindlers and thieves and folks whose reputations were tarnished. He befriended them and he told them of God's great love for them. And I don't think for a second, Jesus from the beginning knew that living in opposition to the culture would end with nails through his hands and feet. But still, he never withdrew. He never quit. He never withdrew except for short periods of rest. And then he was always right back out in the midst, living like God wants us to live. And Jesus didn't attack the world either. He never tried to outvote or overpower anyone into believing or behaving. Instead, he spoke the only thing that can change a human heart, which is love. He spoke of God's love and grace, and he didn't see the world as an enemy. So Jesus never became like the world, and that's why everyone was drawn to him. He lived this God-directed life, and it shined. He, he shined like the sun in the darkness around him. He was tempted in every way, the Bible says, just as we are, except Jesus never sinned. And so the life he lived was in such direct contrast with the world he lived in that people noticed him and wanted to know what was going on. He drew people to him. And Jesus transformed the world. And that's what he wants us to do. Being part of a Christian culture is important because we need worship. And we need to come and, and, and learn the scriptures and we need the sacraments and we need each other and we need friendship and we need encouragement. But we can't stay here. We have to go out into the culture that needs to know the God that we know because how will they hear? unless we tell them. The world is not our enemy. It's a mission field. It can be a dangerous place, but it's a place where God has called us to be. And if we live God-directed lives in the midst of our culture, people will notice, and some of you are already doing that. 
I can't tell you how many times I've had a person come to me or fill out a card or check on the, you know, on the connection card. They want to talk. And they'll say, I want to know more about being a follower of Jesus. And the huge majority of time when I say, what caused you to start thinking about wanting to have a relationship with God? The answer is, there's this person that I work with or go to school with, and they're followers of Jesus, and there is something about their life that I want to know more about. That's transforming the culture by following Jesus and people seeing it in us. Every time that happens, I believe, it makes God smile. The whole time I thought about this message, this one verse kept running through my head. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. You want to say that with me? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God has called us to live in a world that is broken, but God is present in this broken world. God never called us to hide from it or throw rocks at it or to become like it, but to be a part of the solution, to be a part of the process of transforming the world like salt and like light. So this morning, I want to encourage you, I want to encourage all of us to take seriously following Jesus in a culture even that doesn't, that, that often points and moves in the other direction because you will be amazed at what God can transform through your life when we follow Jesus even in a culture that doesn't. Amen.